welcome, welcome, welcome to Homepage Radio. The fourth Thursday of every month, ad infinitum, Homepage Radio comes on the incredible radio station WPKN, and you're either hearing me on some radio device or you're hearing me in some form of streaming, but welcome to Homepage Radio. My name is Duo Dickinson. I'm an architect. I write a lot, and every month we try to get together, I try to get together with everybody, and we want to talk about the home, not about DIY or not about uh, new trends of decoration, and really, really not about the home marketing uh, hype world, other than to expose it. But we really want to talk about what are the values of the one thing that every single human being has, a place to live, and something that is as idiosyncratic as any human being is, which is how do you think about your home? What do you think about your home? So today, the topic of this show is one that has been dear to my heart for 45 years and is actually part of every single person's life who has ever owned a home or even just lived anywhere, which is what do you have and what do you want and what does that mean in terms of new things? Now, in the radio station, in the in the studio with me, is actually Rod Richardson, who is the um, who is the sole provisional technician to my existence. If he was not here, I, I would simply have no. You would never know I was alive. So I I basically owe my life on the radio. To Rod Richardson. Rod, welcome to Homepage Radio. Well, thank you once again, Duo. It's been a multi-year pleasure to to be your your sidekick and engineer all these for all these shows. So. But you know, for, forget about how much I love you. I'm just going to use you now. Now, as 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 the as the uh, token human in the room, mm-hmm. um, non-architect. That's the whole thing. Well, you're right. a human. Um, right. okay. uh, I think I'm vegetative and Klaus, I think you might be made out of wood. I'm not sure, but you haven't met Klaus yet. But anyway, um, you alluded to something with your kitchen involving this topic. Tell us about that. Well, I live in a house that was built in 1917 and then they put an addition on it probably in the forties or fifties. And when I go into my kitchen, I can see the different eras of Mm. the construction. Mm. Now, my kitchen is definitely not aesthetically um, impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, there are cabinets that basically date back to, I think, the original construction. There mm. are things that were added probably in the 50s. Mm. The sink, I don't know, it's from the 30s or something. Mm. And when I look at this whole thing, I think nobody would design this this way. <laughs> but it's functional. Mm. And the other thing that I've said to myself over the years is, since it's functional, I don't need to like take all the cabinets off the walls and throw them away and replace them with something that has a more unified look. Uh, because I don't want these things that work to end up in a landfill. Ah. And I have, over the years, become acutely conscious of the fact that our generation, the baby boom, and in my case, the late, latter baby boom, we grew up in a period where new was supposed to be the thing. Yes. And the wastefulness that came about because of all that is, in retrospect, truly appalling. It because, is. Because I think we hit a sort of peak level in our civilization and now we're becoming much more acutely conscious of the consequences of this and the fact that we are now paying the price in so many different ways and so whenever i have a chance not to waste something Mm. uh i choose to keep it you know keep it working uh so to speak rather than going well you know it would look better 
Um, but, you know, again, functionality, as long as that's there, you know, you can still do a lot with what you have that's from the past. And I also appreciate the older aesthetics in the sense that uh, things that were built 100 years ago in many cases are probably better than some newer construction. But that's my, my own opinion, which is not particularly well-informed, but that's just my sense of it. Well, I could tell you that there are universal truths. And one of, the, one of the hard truths is that, you know, we're sitting in downtown Bridgeport, which is a sort of historic constant amidst a sea of real estate change. In other words, there's not been a huge amount of tear down, build new in, in Bridgeport, but all around us, the ethic of almost all suburban communities is one where you consider removing the home that's there. And in fact, the National Association of Home Builders says that in the country, 9% of all new homes, that's nine, almost 10% of every new home replaces an existing home, meaning it gets torn down. In New England, that goes up to 13.5% of all the new homes that you see around you are replacing some old home. And that weirdness is, is to me, really strange. Uh, it, it actually is one of these things where there's another new countercurrent aesthetic uh, to reuse, which is to build better. So people build build in a way which is really virtue signaling, where you can have a, a six or 8,000 square foot McMansion that's no longer a McMansion because it's green, or you can buy an $80,000 luxury car and it's no longer a luxury car because it's electric. So there's this weird thing that, that humans are engaging in, which is, I think, echoing what Raj just talked about, that new is inherently better than old. Now, that that is in direct contradistinction to the fact that one of the oldest saws in the green world is that the that the greenest house you have is the one that already exists that the embodied energy of your house is so prominent that that tearing it down is is a hideous denial of what's there well that could all be really true but there's some facts that people i think walk by they whistle by them which is that you know the, the the great one of the greatest sources of landfill is construction, and that's six hundred cubic cubic meters or what cubic tons. I mean metric tons. Six hundred metric tons of construction material gets buried every year, and one hundred seventy five million metric tons of, of it is landfill uh, of landfill from construction. So that weirdness says to me that there's a disconnect between sustainability, which, which, you know, it turns out that pretty much seven out of seven out of 10 people in a Yale study basically said, we are concerned about the environment and the fact that many people are just fine with removing what is there and, and essentially wiping the slate clean and building something new, just like it was in the 1950s. So that sense of new is better than old begs the middle question. Now, we've done shows where there's literally, and it's very small, but it's very pronounced, there's literally a religion that says everything that is historic is good, and that history essentially is a religious uh, reality that if you if you remove something that exists, you're defiling the purity of our history. And I, and I do get that. But the truth of the matter is old things are old, and some of them do not work. And new things typically work better than old things, just work better. Forget about the aesthetics and all the rest. But what I want this show to focus on, which is interesting, uh, an interesting thing beyond the cliche of it ain't broke, don't fix it. But I want to think about the, re the third reality. There's building new, which involves a teardown, 
or its restoration, which involves holistic salvation of what exists. And, but there's an in-between, which is deconstruction. And deconstruction is far more expensive, even with the net uh, selling of products, than just straight demolition. And that, that initial cost is, is, is quite, quite higher, maybe 2.5%, some people say, but it's a, it's, it's a lot. I mean, the, the typical demolition is about $18,000 for a house, but and it's 35000 if you if you deconstruct something. That's what some person said. Or one person said it was four dollars to $8,000, another person versus twenty dollars or $50,000. So it always costs more to remove viable parts of a house and reuse them. But the truth is, why not? It's crazy to throw stuff away when we are terrified of carbon generation. It's just crazy. And so even if we could dispose of things ethically and correctly, bury them and let them rot like so many dinosaurs and forests primeval, the truth is we do not want to get the climate any more bizarre than it already is, whether it's warming or flooding or whatever it is. And a way to do that is just to spend less carbon on everything we do. Well, that to me says deconstruction. And basically, uh, deconstruction is being advocated by Joe DeRisi of Urban Miners, Klaus Armster, who is from Reclaim Lumber, and hopefully he's going to be here, John Hyden of, of the Mongers Market right here in Bridgeport. So when I come back, we are going to be talking first to Klaus Armster to say hi, but then to Joe DeRisi. Well, well, welcome to Homepage Radio. My name is Dua Dickinson. I'm an architect. I write some, but every month I come on the air, the WPKN 89.5 FM air and all of their streaming universe to talk about the home and not about the home in terms of selling stuff, but in terms of what do we value in the home? Well, this, this month, I was going to say week, that's trying to be wish fulfilling, but, but no, but this month. Uh, this this episode is called Don't Trash the Home, meaning that 13.5% of all the new homes you see around you replaced another home. They just, the home went away, they tore it down, they buried it, and, and a new thing pops up. Inevitably, there are aesthetic questions about that, but that's just what happens. So before we get to Joe DeRisi, we have in studio with us Klaus Armster, who is Armster Reclaimed Lumber Manifest. Klaus, how are you? Hi, Duo. Very good. Thank you. Well, it's it's good to have you here. And just give us 10 seconds, because you're going to be talking to Joe DeRisi in a second with me. Tell us just in just what the hell do you do? We reclaim lumber and sell it mostly as building materials into new homes and new and um, refurbished homes. Do you harvest the, the, the materials? We buy from deconstruction guys. We buy from guys like Joe. So, th- so this is a thing that I didn't know. So this is actually, this is informing for everyone. So with us is the aforementioned Joe, De- Joe DeRisi. Joe, how are you? Good. I, I am fine. Thank you. And the biggest thing about Joe is, I think, Joe, you're pretty familiar with, with WPK, are you not? Um, well, if you go to listening since 
72 or three <laughs> or being on the board or all that kind of stuff. Yes. <laughs> How can you get away from it? It is a it is a black hole of love and interest, as Rod and I've talked about many times. Um, yes. Well, I, I, well, well, Joe has a master's degree in resource management from Antioch, and he also has uh, has a certificate in deconstruction from the Yestermar School. People that I love myself and talk talk on their campus many times. He's got a Class B demolition license for the city of Connecticut. And he established, when did you establish Urban Miners, Joe? Uh, well, that, that, that officially uh, came into existence in 2007. Wow. Well, he, he, you know, I've done, I've been an architect for 45 years, and there are people that you go to when you are trying to figure out options. And both Klaus and Klaus's father and you are the people that I go to when um, I think about what a building has versus what has to happen to the building. Usually it it needs to change or go away. So what led you specifically, what led you to save buildings? Forget about all the technical things. What, What was actually in your mind when you said, you know what, there needs to be a place where we can deconstruct something versus just tear it down? Yeah. Um, I mean, we don't have time to go into all of it, but I, I think what started for me is, uh, that I worked on historic buildings in New Haven mm. as work. I was um, in in college and before that. And uh, I watched, you know, in renovation situations whenever <clears throat> I was there sheetrocking or painting or whatever I was doing and um, watched, you know, all the doors and the trim and whatever go into the dumpster. Mm. So, um, and no, knowing that I had other jobs, I said, well, I could use these possibly in the future and then I don't have to pay to buy new ones. Mm-hmm. So I would save them. And then my, my workshop would get so cluttered, I couldn't get to my tools. So <laughs> then I started tag sailing. Them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's sort of how it started actually happening on the ground. Um, you know, my saving of stuff sort of happened before that. But that was really what instigated. And then the jump to full deconstruction was triggered um, in the 90s. I was actually uh, volunteering for the Preservation Trust. Mm. And we had a, an, an action list of historic buildings that were going to get demolished, and we had to try to save them. Yeah. Um, and then I saw, so there's preservation is you, you save the building more or less how it is. And then if you can't, usually the next day it's demolished. So in between that uh, preservation and demolition, I realized there was what I call, you know, conservation, right? yes. which is we, we lose we lose the form but we uh, and the context, but we can still save the actual building mm. if we take it all apart and put it into other historic buildings. That would be the, my primary goal, would be historic materials into other historic buildings. Mm. And, of course, that's only a small portion of the market, but that was my priority. Well, I'm going to ask both of you this because I think this is interesting because – what what Klaus just said, uh, Joe, was that he often goes to you to get materials. So first to Klaus, what do people come to you to buy? In other words, there, 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 there is obviously, you know, wood is wood and doors are doors. If there's a thing that they come to a reclaimed lumber place to buy, what is it and why do they want the reclaimed lumber? Well, I think uh, when it comes to reclaimed lumber, there's many – uh, reasons why people typically will use it, um, and that includes sort of the wood itself. It has 
properties that may no longer be available in new wood, um, sort of some of the old growth properties. Um, sometimes it is a green sort of initiative they're trying to re- reclaim and recycle. Sometimes it's all of the above. Mm. But I think probably the over uh, the most common reason people are buying reclaimed lumber is they want the aesthetic of old wood. They want the history. They oh. want something real. They want something that they that tells a little bit of a story. And I, I think that's probably the most important. But I think all of those things are um, – you know, incentives. I mean, what fa- fancy dance people like me would say, it's the provenance. It's actually the the embedded history as well as the embedded energy in something. And Joe, you actually have got the broader perspective beyond lumber. What do people <clears throat> come to you to buy? Um, well, that, that's a good question. And that pretty much uh, runs the full range of anything you could you could find in a house content wise mm. the house itself or the landscape elements um, when uh, like in a full deconstruction we have th- the typical things in a renovation would be what we call in, in deconstruction a soft strip which mm. is cabinets mantles mm. um, you know that kind of thing and and there's also contents you know appliances and that, all that then sort of the next level is going to structural materials, Mm. um, sheathing and framing. And of course, in older houses, um, you know, the frame, what what they framed with uh, with back then is uh, what I now call furniture grade, right? So Mm. you've got, you've got a two by six that's got 50 growth rings per inch. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's, it's a whole different beast than a two by six that you're going to buy at the store. Um, and then, you know, landscaping elements, um, even shrubs. Um, I've, I've done deconstructions. Really? I've had people come and, and remove all the flower beds. Um, wow. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't had anybody uh, come by with a crane and take out any trees yet, although there's some that were worthy enough to do it. Right. So, so you have to really um, – and, and those all need to go to different sources, right? You know, mm. the washing machine and dryer – Et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, pretty much the, the full range. Uh, I, I, my goal is to keep anything out of the dumpster. So if yep. if it's a, if it's a whole pile of pallets or it's um, uh, you know timbers from a factory, uh, I'm going to try to move them any way I can. So in, in all of this, and again, I think I'll start with Klaus on this. What do you think, Klaus, is is the is the most is the most best fit? of what you offer with what people want? I mean, is it the veneer of a floor or a wall or is it the structure of the timbers or the whatever you're selling like that? I would say most of the wood we supply uh, provides more of an aesthetic and sort of light functional um, uh, value. And so it's typically when you walk into a home or a restaurant or, um, you know, a commercial space of some sort, you know, what, what do you see? What wood elements do you see and you can appreciate? So we're typically not supplying framing that's going to go back behind the walls gotcha. that nobody sees. So we're supplying uh, flooring, paneling, um, beams, both structural and decorative mm-hmm. um, paneling. We also get into uh, decking, siding, all of those sorts of things as well. So um, quite a wide range of material. But typically if you go into um, a structure and you <clears> see <throat> something um, – that would be, you know, 
a possibility for us to supply. So, Joe, the same question for you. What do you think is the best fit? In other words, what do you think that, man, that's a, that, that's a home run. I'm selling this person this thing, and they're going to use it for that. And it actually is both all the goodness of, of sustainability and green and, and all the good things, but it also makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I, certainly a, a, a good portion of my customer base, and I tend to function, most. I mostly do residential, although not exclusively, <clears throat> are people that have older homes. Um, because uh, I have a customer right now renovating their 1928 house, and uh, some floors are coming out and, and walls and this and that. And uh, their their kitchen is going to get hopefully get oak flooring from a 1954 house because it much more closely matches the oak flooring in their dining room, which is going to be contiguous. Mm. So um, they could buy new flooring, um, and and the price I'm selling it for is is similar to the price of new oak flooring, but it ain't going to look the same. <laughs> um, so, um, th- you know, they, I think that a lot of the, uh, I, one of the key things here is salvaging from older houses um, because that material can be used in newer houses. Yeah. Now, I also take flooring out of old houses and make uh, uh, bench tops out of it. So hmm. I think I think the key, like with what Klaus was saying, uh, is that we're taking things and adding value to it by giving it a more noble application, perhaps, than where it came from. Hmm, interesting. So, you know, it was framing. It's now going to be a top of a table, or it's yeah. going to be paneling, get sawn into paneling for the side of a wall in a restaurant. So you're, you're adding, you can, you can cover the costs of remanufacturing it. Well, That's a I'm, whole other thing. I'm going to give you guys a very interesting anecdote. I mean, this is... Uh, I work with a lot of people because I mean, we've probably done six or 800 homes over the last 40 years, many different people. And they range from people that say, help me out and I'll see you later. And we're doing one of those homes in Guilford right now for an incredible couple. Um, she's been on the radio show. And we also have people say, we don't even want to think about this. Do what you need to do. I need a new house. And so it's, it's the hands off to completely, uh, thanks a lot, get out. Well, in the middle of this was an amazing woman who, again, this is 12 or 14 years ago when the internet was there, but it wasn't what it is now. She kind of went out of her mind for a house that was not inexpensive. This is a really nice house on the water and all the rest. And she went nuts on the internet and she found really incredible doors at an unbelievably low price. And they were incredible doors, A, and B, they were super cheap. Now it costs more to make the frame around the door and all the rest of it. But in the end, it saved them about 50% of what a typical three foot by eight foot six door. Think about that for a minute. <laughs> I mean, they're fabulous three panel yeah. doors, Maho- solid mahogany, huge, amazing. <clears throat> she also does this other thing, which is which I think is increasing, which is on the internet was offered up a kitchen from a home that was torn down, I think in New Jersey. And it was three years old and it was a really nice kitchen by a real manufacturer. The person obviously bought the home and took the old kitchen out. So she gets a kitchen. And if you're a good architect, you can actually deal with existing things and reuse them and build new things to match those things to make sure that everything looks well together. Well, in doing all of that, she saved about 50% of what a new kitchen cost would be. So what I'm going to ask again, go to class first. 
what percentage of what you do is internet facilitated and what percent just is like, oh, go to class? What, 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 what is, and what percent straight up advertising? How do people find you? Well, I don't, we don't do any advertising per yeah. se. We do have like um Instagram account, I suppose. But um, we, I would say at this point, most of our business originally came from either word of mouth or from the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, but probably <clears throat> on a day-to-day basis, probably 80 to 90% of our businesses repeat business. Ah, okay. So it's either architects who have worked with us in the past. Like or, me. Yeah, or exactly. Or we do a lot with um, restaurant groups who are building another oh, wow. restaurant or um, or even sometimes homeowners who do some work and then they have a renovation a few years later or builders who come to us on a regular basis because they, they want to do something a little unique. And um, yeah, so quite a bit is, um, most of it is repeat business. Joe, how about you? Where, where does this, where do your inquiries come from? Yeah. Um, I, I also would say that I, I have a strong, uh, a limited but strong customer base that are repeat customers uh, who get the re the reuse thing. Um, I, I only sell, through online, uh, with few exceptions, mm. I, have, I have a little. I have a, a store window that I'm. I have a display <laughs> in, but I, I, I gave up on the huge uh, warehouse slash retail space. <clears throat> Fortunately, it was a while before the pandemic, um, because it's uh, it's a lot of work, yeah. um, and I, I spend more time uh, now with uh, to say it simply with spreadsheets, and I probably save mm. more stuff than I did then, and I probably lose less money. So, the, uh, <laughs> A man after my own heart. Losing less money is devoutly to be wished. <laughs> yeah, the, um, I think, um, you know, obviously the internet, uh, you know, I, I have an Instagram account and all that kind of stuff. Um, but what I do now is I, I, I'm working, and I always did it, but I'm working much more towards selling directly from the job site uh, before mm. it needs to leave it. Wow. Uh, and then if I can't sell it from the job site, we donate the rest. And by so the way, just to let people know that if, yeah. if the do- the value of the donation is assessed at more than $5,000, there is a real tax deduction involved. So, right. so, so um, they should, we should know that. Can, here, look, uh, if I may, uh, yes. Duo, here's, here's, because this sort of goes back to your introduction. So I have, Give you an example. I have a house right now, and the demo cost would be about twenty five thousand. Mm-hmm. The, the deconstruction cost—that's to take the entire house, remove the foundation—is is around forty eight. That's yep. what we're estimating, right? Yep. The material appraised value is one hundred and fifty to one hundred and seventy k. No, really. Right. So Amazing. If you, look, if you look at those numbers. Um, it like it looks like a no brainer, right? Well, if you if it's going to only cost forty eight to deconstruct it, and the stuff's worth one fifty, yes. then go ahead and do it. The problem is to get that one hundred and fifty mm. uh, for that forty eight thousand, right? It it assumes that it's sold. Correct. So if if I went and deconstructed it and and paid the owner uh, the difference between forty eight and twenty five. And he gave me all the materials. I would now have to call up Klaus and say, can I use half of your there, warehouse? There we go. Right? <laughs> yep. So instead, he donates it. And in uh, his tax bracket, let's say his tax bracket's 30%. So out of that 150 he gets a $50 uh, d- 
50 uh, deduction, a $50,000 deduction. So now he's just demolished his house and gotten rid of it, saved all the materials, and it didn't cost him anything. Yeah. The, the problem is that only works if you're in that tax bracket. Yep. So for somebody who's you know got a small house in around here and they they're not going to the tax they don't need a tax deduction. Yeah. So it doesn't work, but sometimes it does. Well, I want to thank you so much, uh, Joe, for being on air with us, <clears throat> and I really do think that we've known each other for a very long time, and I do think that common sense and truth will out over hype and branding and all the other stuff that. We have been, you know, we get we get bombarded with during building booms, and I really think uh, urban urban miners is really one of the great uh, efforts ever. And I want to thank you for all you've done because uh, I, w- I I'm on the board of uh, I, I was on the board of New Haven Preservation Trust too, and I and I also want to thank you for all the work you've helped me do with 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 organizations. But I just want to thank you for your work with WPKN because it's people like you that makes this place work. So thank you, Joe, very much. All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Well, when we come back, we're going to we're going to go to a, a third a third way of, of sort of make, making this work, which is going to be pretty interesting, which is that we, we are going to um, th- think about uh, actually we're going to we're going to come back to Klaus for a bit. And then we're going to go uh, to uh, to John Hyden, who has actually put this into a retail context right here in Bridgeport, as opposed to the internet connection and reputation context that we've been hearing about. So when we get back, Klaus and I will, will, will have some very interesting conversations, uh, oddly somewhat about his family. So when we come back, more homepage radio. Welcome back. Welcome back. My name is Duo Dickinson. I'm an architect. I write some, but every month I do something called homepage radio here in WPKN 89.5 FM on your dial or something. And um, what is pretty interesting is that this month's version is, is basically called don't trash the home. And we're going to be talking shortly with John Hyden, who, who is the, one of the people behind the mongers revolution here in Bridgeport. And, and in about, 10 seconds we're going to be talking to Klaus Armstrong who's been in the studio with us for the last half hour. But what I'm all what I'm going to do first of all is salute is salute Rod Richardson not just because he knows how to make radio work for people that don't have thumbs like me, but also he has one of the more interesting radio programs on the 100 plus radio programs at WPK and Radio Nothing. And he's responsible for this music that you've been hearing for the last six years. And I was just going to ask you about this music and about the fact that you bring music into contexts like this and tell us a little bit of when your show is on and what your show is. All right. The show is called Radio Nothing. Yes. It's here every Tuesday morning between 9 a.m. and noon. It is also here on the fourth Sunday night of the month from 10 p.m. until 2 a.m. Monday morning. And that's coming up this Sunday night. Ooh. And I also occasionally do fill-ins. And weirdly enough, Ooh. I am on the air today <gasps> at 4 p.m. Ooh. with Radio Nothing number, uh, let's see, 3,460-something. And I, that's I, not I made up, by the way. No, that's an exact count. Yes. Um, and, uh, and so, yes, I've been doing this for just shy of uh, 37 years. 
Unbelievable. Said, well, it, it, to me too, because it wasn't my plan. It was just <laughs> the way it turned out. That's what life is. But yeah, it is. It's sort of like recognizing certain pivot points and going with the flow and seeing where it goes. And I have to say that uh, it almost feels like destiny if I believed in such a thing. Uh, but I'm, I, it seems like a good fit, you know, for me anyway. And I, I also know that, you know, the people like the show. I mean, I've been, I've been getting, I've been getting feedback from people over the years that really warms my heart and uh, certainly makes it uh, very encouraging to continue. And I'm always trying to find new things for us to, all to listen to. Yeah. And like this last piece was by an artist named Hauschka. And one of the things that he does is he does something called prepared piano, where he puts various objects on the uh, on the piano sk- uh, strings in order to modify its sound. <laughs> and that's something that the avant-garde composer from the 20th century, John Cage, yes. uh, brought to the popular imagination, so to speak. And so, you know, you one thing leads to another, to another, to another. And I just try to keep it interesting for people who to listen to and, and hopefully expose people to things that they otherwise would never have encountered. Well, I'm going to be a pretentious jackass, which I'm actually live, live in every day, which is that um, the musical contributions that are on this show and when I've listened to your other radio program um, and is, I think, in a sense, what WPKN is, it reflects, I think, most people's lives, which is most, people, most people's lives are not perfectly formed following a format, moving in this perfect uh, straight-ahead aligned path, they are usually drawing things that seem to appeal to us and actually developing those and seeing other things and moving on. So when I teach architecture at the University of Hartford, I'm, my major teaching focus is to have people listen, to literally have people listen to the world that is there and the people that they are in theory designing with and building with. That listening thing to me is directly directly analogous to the topic of this show, which is called Don't Trash the Home. Because as we look at our homes, as Rod looked at his kitchen, as we look at things, we really should know that they're not just disposable things like the food we eat or the clothes that wear out that we throw away. They are actually usually extremely viable on many different levels. And so this program really is talking about the fact that in a place where we tear down 13.5% of our homes to build new homes, which is to me lunacy, um, there's a huge window between building new, which has got the benefits of building new, and hyper-preserving and perfectly restoring beautiful old homes, which is wonderful, but a tiny percentage and very expensive of, of all of our homes. And in between that, something called deconstruction. And with us is Klaus Armster, who is has been doing Reclaim Lumber for 20 years <clears throat> at Armster Reclaim Lumber. You heard him before for the last half hour. And he gets place wood from factories and barns and houses. And he also, as, as and I have in my own house, uh, things that are from New York City boardwalks, pilings that are in the Hudson River. So he goes everywhere. We, we've used your your pickle vat wood at the at the Episcopal Conference Center, and and we've also had some redwood that was used in bridges, trestle bridges from California. So there are enormous ways that the provenance, the history, the value of its of its previous previous life, its existing, it's very meaningful to us. But um, there's also something about the, the the qualities of older materials that that can be superior to the materials you you can you can create Uh, he also co-authored a book called reclaimed wood a field guide 
And you should try to find that on Amazon, Reclaimed Wood, colon, a field guide. And you could actually look at, at what the values of, of this are. Now, having said that, Klaus, what actually led you to re- recycling old things? What, what made that work for you? Uh, well, I had, um, <clears throat> I had studied uh, environmental economics in school. But after I, I took a job in consulting, I worked with my father, who was an architect. And he um, also supplied lumber. He had a small um, manufacturing company where he made siding and decking and supplied mm. uh, typically other architects and, and builders with uh, exterior building materials typically. Um, and I had been working with him mainly just to kind of help their business out. And this is in the late 90s. And uh, after sort of working with him for a couple years uh, or even during that process, we had come across some reclaimed redwood. It was available from the University of Hartford and uh, I think they were auctioning it off at the time. And I'm not sure the story of how it came to be theirs, but it was actually redwood from an old wine tank. So it had originally come from California. They got that material and um, they auctioned it off. And we got it uh, in that auction. And the material was stunning. It was unbelievable. Mm. I mean, if you've seen old growth redwood. And I remember when I when I got the material, I asked my father and I kind of you know was like, why, why aren't people using this wood now? And the answer I got was, well, it doesn't really exist much on the commercial market anymore. No. It's been cut up and, and used. And uh, all the trees, you know, it's 10% and, of the And original. Redwoods actually, in many ways, is, was often, and it still is in some cases, illegal to, to buy you, you, because it's a, it's a protected species. Well, yeah. and uh, But it's become protected after it's pretty much all, been all gone. Correct. Right? 90% of the original forest was, <laughs> was harvested. Right. And uh, so I got this material. And, and so it was just eye-opening to me that, you know, some of this material – um, that once existed, you couldn't, couldn't get anymore. So as I looked into it, I found uh, that was the case over and over again. You know, it was true with old growth white pine, with mm. old growth cypress, yeah. um, old growth dug fir, and then obviously all the hardwoods. And, you know, I started learning about sort of some of the different sources. So I got involved that way. And as we got, as I started doing that, um, one of the things I learned is that, you know, reclaimed wood had had not really sort of come into its own at that point. But there were a lot of architects, designers who were interested in using it. So it was sort of like they were on the cutting edge at that point a little bit. There was a lot of it being used for historic homes where people sure. wanted it. But uh, it was as far as a green building material is fairly new. Um, from an aesthetic standpoint, it was fairly new. But we got into um, trying to get it manufactured. And we actually wound up having to build an entire um, company around the ability to manufacture this because the wood industry um, rejected reclaimed lumber. They didn't want mm. anything to do with it. They, right. didn't, they didn't know how to deal with the metal that was in the wood, right. uh, processing it. So we became a, a sort of a vertically By integrated. By the way, out there, metal from the fasteners that is embedded in the wood. And when it goes through any kind of processing, it wrecks the, wrecks the machines that the process. And yeah, I mean, the wood, the wood has grit and paint. Yep. And depending on where it came from, it could have all sorts of... Um, you know, things on it, not often contaminants necessarily, but, but sometimes possibly, but we stay away from that. But just the process of that remanufacturing, we, you know, was quite a, quite an investment, but um, I learned to sort of appreciate and uh, enjoy the sort of manufacturing process. And we had to be sort of a vertically integrated company, meaning that we are doing the primary manufacturing, which is sort of the sawing and the drawing yep. and the denailing yep. and all of that. And if you think of that as akin to sort of the, the, the um, with logging, you know, they have to do the sawing as well. But then we're also doing the secondary manufacturing because 
Un- unless we can turn it into a finished product that someone can use in their home, right. we're not going to get very many sales. I mean, obviously, the architectural salvage is, is different where people are finding ways to use this, this wood that's coming out of these homes. But we are taking this material um, from a raw um, right. material and turning it into flooring and siding and things that, you know, contractors are happy to use. So before before we go to John Hyden, we'll be a little bit late for him. I just want to ask you to give us the elevator speech on your home and your three siblings' homes, because it, it is almost, again, a metaphor for the continuity of pieces and parts. Tell us how the four of you got your home. Well, you know, my father, as I mentioned, was an architect, um, Wilfred Armster, and uh, he, you know, did a lot of very modern architecture. He has, he designed three of my siblings' homes. Uh, my brother actually is an architect now as well, and he is a design builder, and he, he, designed, actually renovated his own home and, and designed that. And then he's actually been involved with the design with my father um, on the other homes and also with the building of those homes. So, um, and then I've supplied a lot of the material sure, to yeah. those homes. So we kind of, we kind of have all been involved. Um, my two sisters have been involved with the design of their own homes and, and actually doing some of the work on their own homes. So we, so it's, it's been very much of a family affair in that regard. Your sisters told me that, that basically the four of the five of you and your mom too, you all helped build each other's homes. Uh, yeah, more or less. I mean, in various ways, I'd say that's true. Yep. Well, well, you know, Radio Land, think about that for a minute. When we come back, <laughs> we get back. John Hyden of Monger's Market. Welcome back. Welcome back to Homepage Radio on WPKN. Before I, I, we go on to our last guest, John Hyden, I just want to have everybody listening now take a breath and go to WPKN.org and take a look at the website, if you haven't already, to see what this place is like and actually see why radio programs like this, like Rod's, can actually change the way you think about the world because what we offer is not available in too many other places in the world and all we really offer is just like all these reclaimed things that we're talking about that are parts of our present culture that are often unseen and unknown. So if you want to be part of something that's broader than the typical pop media that is around us now and actually have thoughtful things, sometimes you'll, as one person said, sometimes I hate the stuff that's on PKN and sometimes I love it. That's part of the, that's part of the what's being offered because it's not commercial radio. It's about... Basically, I think the human the human response to aesthetics on the oral plane, listening to everybody. Well, having said that, with us now is John Hyden. John, how are you? Very good. Thank you, Duo, for having me on your program today. Are you kidding me? It's great to have you on. Now, I know just enough to be extremely dumb, and that means I see going at 63 miles an hour past Monger's Market, Tell me what it is, how you came to it, and uh, Klaus and I will basically grill you about what do you have in the place. So, so, so tell us about Monger's Market. 
Absolutely. Well, I guess the the genesis is when I uh, purchased the building back in uh, 2012. I spent about uh, five and a half, six years kind of painstakingly restoring it. Mm. And uh, the building is known as 1155 Raritt Avenue. It is a, an old, originally it was a piano factory uh, when Bridgeport was really a booming manufacturing, manufacturing hub. And uh, then it morphed into a screwdriver factory. Then I finally um, acquired it and uh, opened my doors for business in 2018 under Monger's Market, uh, which is really a, a collection or a team of uh, about 90 different mongers, sellers wow. or vendors, who bring in cool things uh, from the past and uh, sell them every Sunday. We're open to the general public uh, 10 to 4 on Sundays. And uh, as one of the fellow mongers, um, I also buy and sell old things. <laughs> My specialty is really architectural salvage. And I do a lot of uh, factory cleanouts where I buy all kinds of neat artifacts out of factories. And, um, and that's about the size of it. Well, what's fascinating to me is that, is that you, are, you are on the in-person retail level. And what seems to me is somebody who, who's worked with this, this thing and, and talking to Klaus here in the studio is that you sort of are this other option to about 70 or 80 percent what Klaus does is, is actually referrals or, or, or continued or continued work also with Joe DeRisi. But and a lot of the rest of it seems to come often for for uh, Joe is, is is Internet connections that are that, that get people aware of you. You are really about one to one human connection between the person and the object and the buyer. Um, how did how to, to say there are ninety people that are living the life that I think uh, you're looking at? Where do you think? Why do you think this is so popular? You know, it, it's an interesting profile to people that are part of the team, and I think you hit the nail right on the head. That's what really separates us from other, like, multi-dealer antique centers or places where the customer doesn't really interface with the person that brought the item in or curated the collection for sale. Um, I think it's just like-minded people that have a, a, you know, love old things, love the past, maybe simpler times, uh, mm. have a real affinity towards preserving things. They see the value in things. Um Quite often, the, the folks that become mongers uh, are artistic, they're creative. Um, they just seem to have, we all seem to have the same sensibilities, and I'm not quite sure what it is, but it's a very um, very rich canvas. The characters, the people that make up mongers market, and that's really what separates us from other, other businesses. Um, so I'm what, I, what I've asked Joe and I've asked Klaus is, um, is what works, what sells, what is interesting, what, people, what do people want more of that you have and what doesn't? What seems to not be the be as economically viable in in terms of interest? What sort of stuff do you have? Well, it's uh, there are ninety different uh, collectors bringing stuff in. I would say uh, people mostly like kind of small and medium sized things. Uh, they love eclectic things, um, boxes, small pieces of furniture. They're mm. usable stands. Um, things to hang on the wall during COVID, especially mm. uh, people were buying a lot of things, you know, wall art we classified as just really kind of cool, funky things to hang on the, on the wall. Uh, a lot of the mongers sell collectibles. Um, people have collections of all kinds of things these days. Uh, things that don't sell are usually the things that I have, which are the big greasy things I pull out of factories. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I love old industrial furniture and filing cabinets, flat files. Mm. Uh, but it seems like people want kind of usable things that are practical, um, well-made, 
and have nice color. Uh, color is very important, rich texture. Um, and that's pretty much, the, you know, I'd say, you know, trinkets are very popular, small accessories. Yep. Uh, it's really all over the board. That's really what, what, you know, it's a huge building. You know, it's really something that's overwhelming for many. So Klaus has a question for you. John, yeah, I was wondering, um, I mean, I sell to actually a couple of your customers. <clears throat> I mean, a couple of your mongers, I should say. And uh, I was wondering what percentage of your 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 mongers are actually adding value there they're, because some of the ones I supply to, they actually make products, they make tables and different things. And um, so uh, what percentage, you have quite a few that are actually making or adding value to, you know, their own creativity onto the products that they're getting versus ones that are actually just um, supplying the items as they come out of the out of their previous home. Uh, good question. Good to hear your voice, Klaus. Um, yeah, John. Let's see. I would say it's probably um, it's a minority, definitely. I would mm. say maybe um, if there are ninety mongers uh, that are set up with you know these are big size booths. I'd say maybe ten of them are actually using the products uh, that they get from you or or lumber or you know any kind of uh, kind of reclaim raw materials and make objects. Uh, I know there's a bunch of guys that do tables. They might get lumber from you. Um, there's another guy that does all these cutting boards. I'm not sure if he gets from you uh, lumber from you. Um, a lot of folks make accessories out of reclaimed lumber and, and, and even stone products as well. What's really interesting about all of this is that you could look at this and say, well, that's a good business model. But the weird thing about a, a good business model is two things. Way, there's got to be product to sell. And then secondly, there's got to be demand for product. I, you had mentioned in this elusive way and in this last minute or so I've got you on the air – what do you think about the human spirit makes what Klaus offers and what Joe offers and you have, what, what about us makes us want stuff that is not made for us? That's a very loaded question. Uh, I don't <laughs> you know. Got a minute. It's good. In some way, you know, it, it, it's an emotional thing. It's not really, from my experience, a lot of the folks that buy and sell at Monger's Market, even myself included, we just love it because we love it. You know, it's not mm. really always the best business model, but <laughs> it, it just, uh, it's soothing. It's peaceful. It's um, maybe it's spiritual. I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's a tough question. Well, you know, when you say that spiritual thing, you know, when you think about the fact that religion in the Western world is essentially collapsing for all of its, all the reasons there is a spiritual component to humanity, which I think is undeniable. And I think what, what all of people do that, that touch upon the almost irrational value of history, they touch upon that human spirit of wanting the continuity of things you can't find in a brand new home. You can simulate, obviously, historicism. You can actually kind of try to invent history, but what you do actually puts people in touch with it. And you too, Klaus. So I want to thank you both for coming. And I also want to thank people that are listening to me right now, because the truth is, while homes are extremely universal, every single site is different, every single region of the country is different, and every person who has a place to live in that they call home is exquisitely, totally idiosyncratic. So finding the thematic continuities between the idiosyncratic is a reason why places like WPKN and other places that we love, like Mongers and Armster Lumber and Urban Miners, it's why the connection matters to everyone. And I want people listening to make that connection with WPKN, because WPKN is a beacon for us. Thank you so much for joining 
homepage radio this month. When we come back, you'll be hearing some interesting things. <laughs> 